0: Good morning, everyone. Please open your Bibles to First Peter chapter two. And then please stand with me to read God's Word. I'm going to be reading verses eleven and twelve. 1 Peter chapter two. I like to say this as often as I can, but the word of God, the, the Word of God is powerful. The Word of God is absolutely true. And the spirit of God uses the Word of God in the lives of the people of God for the glory of God, and we are confident that God is going to do that today. First Peter two, verse 11. "Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Lord God, we thank you that we can come and and hear your word. We thank you, Lord, that we are beloved in Christ. I pray, Lord, that that those who know you would would go deeper in you today, Lord, that you would have your way with us. And Lord, that those who don't know you would be drawn to you by, by the gospel truth the grace of God in Christ. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Should be no surprise for Christians to hear that they are in a spiritual battle. Should be no surprise at all. But it might be a bit more of a surprise when Christians find out that the battle is not just outward, but it is also inward as well. Because the battle going on is one for the souls of mankind. The ultimate reason that believers in Jesus are alive on earth today is to glorify God and to point people to Jesus Christ. So when Peter starts talking about living honorably in Christ before unbelievers, it seems that we should really listen up about what he's saying. Because what he's doing is giving marching orders for the church. He's giving marching orders for the battle. There is this uncivil civil war going on internally, and there is an all out attack on the outside. I'm reminded of Second Timothy chapter two, where it says that no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life, so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Today we're talking about living honorably in Christ in the midst of this battle. What we're going to focus on is, first, why do you need to live honorably in Christ? What is that all about, to, to live honorably in Christ? Why is that necessary? And then how do you do it? How do you live honorably in Christ? And then what we'll see last is the results. What results from living honorably in Christ? So first and foremost... Why do we need to live like this? Why is it such a big deal that what we think and say and do and how we relate to people matters so much? I think it's a good question, and I think we need to have a really good answer for it. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, have an awesome answer for it. And The reason that it's such a big deal, and why it's so necessary to live righteously for Jesus and the gospel is first because God expects obedience from his children. And secondly, because the world is watching. And that's really going to run through these questions today because God expects obedience from believers, those who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They have believed in his work on the cross, his finished work on the cross, his shed blood on their behalf, that he substituted himself in their place, and they have placed their faith in Christ alone for salvation apart from any works that they could do. And God is saying that the reason why they should live an honorable life, the reason why they can't just say, well, I believe all these good things, why does it matter how I live, is because God expects obedience from his children, and the world is watching. And it has a lot to do with ownership, it has a lot to do with citizenship, and it has a lot to do with discipleship. And so we'll be looking at those concepts as well. God expects obedience, and the world is watching. When you think about living honorably in Christ, what that means is that you are living in such a way that you are pleasing to God, that you are living before believers and unbelievers alike in such a way that falls in line with Jesus saying, I came that they might have life and have that life abundantly. So you are living in victory, you are walking in victory in Christ you are living daily with the reality that your salvation is a free gift of God's grace. And you are living in such a way as to praise God and please God and point others to Jesus Christ. Now when you look at this letter that Peter has written, it is such a beautiful letter. I love the way Peter writes. He writes, he gets straight to the point. He, he's, he's telling them the truth. And he's, he's, he's writing to who he calls elect exiles that are suffering persecution for their faith in Christ. And it's a beautiful letter he writes because he reminds them about how much they've been given in Christ. The magnificent gifts of God's grace, the the doctrines of God's grace by which they have been saved, and that God has has done the saving. And he is encouraging them that that they should be comforted. God's love in saving them and, and their faith and their love for Jesus and he's letting them know what the basis of that is. The basis of any endurance that they display, really. They're in the midst of persecution, and they're being mistreated. And, and the basis of their endurance is built upon God's amazing grace in Christ. How they've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. And born again through the living and abiding word of God. And they have an identity. We looked at this last week. This identity in Christ, security, and assurance of God's saving work in their lives. And this security is based upon who God is, what God has done, It's not based upon their own ideas, but about what God says in His Word. You can trust God's Word. It is authoritative. It is without error. It it will never lead you astray. He has caused them to be born again. He has given them a living hope. They have been born again by the living and abiding Word of God, as I said, and they are chosen and royal and holy and possessed by God we looked at that in depth last week that God possesses his people therefore they are guarded therefore they are protected therefore they are kept therefore they are secure and they have peace in Christ no matter what happens in life that's what we've seen but now what happens is Peter gets very very specific in fact when you look at verses 11 and 12 you, you can see them as a turning point as as really as a hinge between the first part of this letter and the rest of it now you don't just take this letter and chop it in half right down the middle with equal number of words on both sides and say oh there's the first part there's the second part actually the first part is chapter 1 verse 1 to chapter 2 verse 10 The second part of this letter starts in verse 11 of chapter 2. These two verses today are, are seriously the hinge... ...between the first part of the letter and the second part of the letter. The first part of the letter has been largely theological for a really good reason. Here is the basis for everything he's going to say next. Here is the foundation for the practical exhortations that will follow. And so now Peter is giving some very specific instructions to believers on how to practice holiness and trust in God in actual life situations as we go on we're going to see that them being applied to your your public life and how you relate to people who are who are in authority over you and also it's going to relate to your to your marriage and it's going to relate to your your, the suffering that you incur because of your faith in Christ. And, and it's going to be applied to some very specific parts of life. So, verses 11 and 12 are really kicking off this, this second part. And the rest of the letter is application of what Peter has already said. The foundation, the theological foundation he has already set. And he's going to come back. You're going to see this over and over again. He is going to come back to the cross over and over again in chapter 2 at the end he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds you have been healed and he's going to continue to point out that what Jesus did is what drives our honorable life God expects obedience and that's why you should live honorably in Christ that's the first thing That we see that God has miraculously saved believers And this amazing salvation that you have in Christ Drives you to live a life pleasing to God It's not like you say I need to pay God back for all he's done Or I need to earn my way to heaven Nothing of the sort The idea is that God has showered me with his grace He has saved my soul And because of that He's transformed me And all I want to do is give my life in service to him So God expects obedience verse 11 begins with the word beloved beloved and the idea is that they are so loved of god now peter loves them this apostle peter that's writing to them loves them deeply as his brothers and sisters in christ but here he is saying beloved because you're the ones that are chosen and royal and holy and the people for god's own possession you are to be proclaiming god's excellencies and basically he's saying, and let me show you exactly how to do that. Exactly how you proclaim God's excellencies. Beloved, he says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. There's a battle going on. And first he talks about ownership. He says, beloved. These beloved ones who are possessed by God, loved by God so much, he's saying you have a duty to love God Because of his love for you, that he urges them. In fact, it's a strong appeal to act. He beseeches them, he he begs them, literally, he exhorts them, encourages them to respond to God as those beloved who are owned by God, possessed by God. He says that you are sojourners and exiles. He's talking about their citizenship. They're sojourners, literally aliens. That word always refers to someone who is living, a temporary resident in a foreign place. Abraham called himself an alien and sojourner among the Hittites, Genesis 23, 4. Hebrews eleven, thirteen 13 says that all the heroes of the faith from Abel to Abraham considered themselves sojourners and aliens on earth. In fact, in those times, there was a decree that went out from the king of Egypt once, Concerning visitors that were going to the city of Alexandria and the, and the edict was this You could not stay there more than 20 days If you were a foreigner If you were a sojourner And the reason why you could not sojourn more than 20 days in Alexandria Is because many of the people that came there to work in the fields And to uh, do agricultural work Became so in love with the luxurious life of that city And they became so in love with the prosperous city of Alexandria that they neglected the work that they came there to do. And he's basically saying, you're here to work, not play. There's some direct, direct connections for believers in the Lord Jesus. Philippians 3.20 says, our citizenship is in heaven. You could say, well, you know, I'm a citizen of America or another country of your origin, but... The Bible says that your citizenship, your true homeland, is heaven, if you're a believer in Jesus. And it says that from there, from heaven, we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you are a Christian today, your, your citizenship is in heaven. There's no membership card. You know, you can't carry it, you know, electronically or in your wallet or your purse. It's just, it's just, it's settled by God. And he says that you're you're exiles. It's a parallel word to sojourners, but it basically means a stranger. You're a visitor. You're a non-resident. You're pilgrims. You've got a brief stay. You're non-owners. That's what Hebrews 13, 14 says. Here here on earth, we do not have a lasting city. We are seeking the city which is to come. And remember what Peter called them in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 1 I mentioned it already elect exiles so their their exileness their their sojourning is in the context of being elect they're chosen by God that word elect always refers to people chosen by God from a group of others not chosen by God and they are chosen to be included in God's family amongst God's people and to be the recipients of great privileges and great blessings So these sojourners and exiles are chosen of God. Now, many of these people would have probably lived in the same city their whole lives. They lived in the same town their whole lives. But spiritually, their true homeland is in heaven. So that any earthly place that they live is temporary. They've been chosen by the king of the universe to be his own people. To benefit from his protection, to to dwell in his heavenly kingdom. And so, the reason why you you need to live an honorable life in Christ if you're a Christian is because of God's ownership of you, your citizenship, that that God expects obedience from those he chooses. Because he says that you are to abstain, verse 11, abstain from the passions of the flesh. That's what you're to do, that's what you're to obey. How exactly do you live an honorable life in Christ? verse 11, abstain abstain from fleshly lust. they rob you they they rob you of peace, they're at war with you so you don't have peace you have have war if you don't abstain and then verse 12 says maintain an exemplary life live an outward life that dovetails with the inner realities that are true about you if you're a Christian if you're a professing Christian that's a better way to put it too, professing Christian Because the jury's out on all people who say they're believers Because saying that you're a believer doesn't, doesn't automatically make you a believer God is the one who saves people So professing Christians are to live an exemplary life An outward life that dovetails with the inner realities to which they profess So you make sure that your behavior matches the inward reality of a follower of Christ It says to abstain that word is very strong there's a lot of strong words in these verses urge is a strong word sojourners and exiles very strong words abstain probably the strongest word in these verses abstain does not mean that hey you've been sinning every day cut down to five days a week you know monday through friday is okay but the weekends are off limits no that's not what it means abstain means to, to stay away completely to get away completely from you you are supposed to to put away from yourself the, the lusts of the flesh the passions of the flesh you're supposed to refuse you're supposed to say no and no means no in God's economy and, and you're supposed to abstain from these passions of the flesh and what does that mean what are the passions of the flesh they are anything to do with your sinful nature Anything to do with your sinful nature A lot of people come into the Christian life And the jet stream of their, of their sinful nature Just kind of like Comes into this And they think all these things are okay Because hey God hasn't zapped me with a lightning bolt So I guess I'm alright I want you to look at Romans chapter 8 with me A lot of people love that chapter Because it's a very awesome chapter to love It's one of my favorites in the whole Bible We're going to go there And then we're going to go to To Galatians chapter 5 but first Romans chapter 8 I want you to start with me at verse 5 it says this for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit set their mind on the things of the spirit and this is talking about believers and and unbelievers so believers set their minds on the things of the spirit which would be the word of God that the Spirit of God uses in the lives of the people of God for the glory of God. The unbeliever would set their minds on the things of the flesh because that's pretty much all they've got to go on. It says to set the mind on the flesh, verse 6, is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. You want life and peace? Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Set your mind on the Word of God, on what God says to do. What God says is true. Verse 7 says, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. So if your mind is is bent towards the flesh, you're not a believer, you're going to be hostile to God. You're not submitting to God's law. You can't. And that's the the key here. Before you become a believer, all you can do is sin. It's the only thing you can do. You might try to reform your life a little bit, but even your best efforts will be sinful. Verse 8 says, though, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Unbeliever cannot please God. There's no way. But verse 9 says you. Now you is the people that he's writing to that have no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So believers, you believers, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit. If the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, and this is key, Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, now, yeah, your, your body's living and breathing and you're moving around, but it spiritually, is, your body is, is, is not redeemed yet. Okay? The spirit, though, is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells you. The idea is, you couldn't stop sinning when you're a, not a believer, but now that you are a believer, you are not under the dominion of sin. You don't have to keep sinning all the time. You don't have to say, well, that's just how, what I'm like. Or that's just kind of how it, how it is. Now go over to Galatians 5. Go to Galatians 5. And you're going to see something else about this. See, Paul um, had, had told the, the Romans that, that the spirit the Spirit is going to set you free... And now he says this, chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. So in Christ you are free from the power and the penalty of sin, right? Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What he's saying is don't go back into your old sinful life. Don't go back into the sins that were yours, as Peter says, in your ignorance, when you were ignorant of God. Now that you know, you'll be held to a higher standard, and don't go back abstain over in verse 13 he says you were called to freedom but only use but only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another through love serve one another for the whole law is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself you bite and devour one another watch out that you are not consumed by one another verse 25 if we live by the spirit let us also walk by the spirit let us not become conceited provoking one another envying one another Back up to verse 16. Walk by the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Peter has already told them to not let their lives be molded by the desires that were theirs in their ignorance. Chapter 1, verse 14. But now what he's saying is, you should not even let such desires have an active place in your life. Get rid of them. Abstain means to keep away, and it's in the present tense, which basically means... To continually keep it away from you. Continually push it away. Continually be on your guard. Continually keep away from sinful desires. Don't let yourself indulge in them in any, at any time. They're always off limits. They're always bad for you. So you can't take a vacation from being a Christian to go, I'm just going to go dabble in some of my old life. Now what are the deeds of the flesh? Uh, well, Galatians 5 actually has a list. And before I read the list, I want you to know that some of you are going to say, well, I'm not doing any of that, so I'm off the hook. No, you're not. Because at the very end of the the verses I'm going to read, it says, and things like these. It's covered. Whatever you're into, it's covered. Okay? Now, the deeds of the flesh are evidence which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing. And wait for it, things like these. Okay, so you're not off the hook. Either am I. Before you came to know Christ, you couldn't help but sin. You were living under the dominion of sin couldn't help but follow after your fleshly lusts it was automatic Ephesians 2 tells you you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air that's the devil according to the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience that's evil among them too we all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest We were under a sentence of death and condemnation because of our sin. But If you're a Christian, once you came to know Christ, once you yielded to Christ, and he drew you to himself by his love and his grace, you now have the ability, you need to mark this down, you now have the ability to say no to sin. You didn't before. You didn't have a choice before you now have the ability to abstain from sin and God commands you to abstain he expects obedience he expects us to put up much more of a fight than most of us do when we're dealing with sin it doesn't matter what it is could be on that list or maybe it's not maybe it's things like those 1 John 2 verse 15 says do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father isn't in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father. It's from the world. The world is passing away, and so are its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. We all are dealing with the battle We are all believers are all in the war. The good news, by the way, according to Romans 8.23, is that when we see Jesus, our unredeemed humanness will be redeemed. We wait for that. We, We wait for that, but for now, the battle rages. The battle rages on. Some Christians oblivious to a battle raging on because they've given in long before Peter is saying and the Holy Spirit is speaking danger, big sign danger, keep out don't go there it's bad for you there's war being made on your soul so purge that stuff from your life eliminate that stuff from your life don't do it would you knowingly swim with piranhas? None of you would knowingly swim with piranhas Some of you are saying Well how fast do they go Would you knowingly Swim with alligators You're sitting there thinking That's come on That's ridiculous Would you hold a rabbit A rabbit squirrel in your hand Some of you are like hmm, I don't know maybe <laughs> Would you play with a menacing guard dog No way. Would you play with grenades? (laughs) Then why, for Christ's sake, would you play with sin? Dabble in sin. Allow sin to just, as God says not to do, reign in your mortal body so that you would obey its lust. The will of God for you is to, who believe in the Lord Jesus is to run to Jesus for refuge from yourself. Don't trust yourself. Don't be smug in any way. When I have no reason to be smug. You have no reason to be smug. We should not trust ourselves. We should trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. Now, we're in padded seats in a climate-controlled room. So it's way easier to go Well come on, come on you know, I don't know about this Yeah well if you were a persecuted Christian That was running for your life You might be a little more intent On keeping On keeping this word very close to your heart And going I'm doing that I'm doing that The command to abstain a Very significant, significant command I, I want you to know How significant it is It's, it's more significant than you know When you're born again, you're regenerated by the Holy Spirit, you get new life in Christ, and you get new desires for holiness. You want to do what God wants. You have a new life in Christ, but it dwells in your old, unredeemed, sinful flesh. This jar of clay, this earthly container. But here's the awesome thing that I want you to see. The command to abstain, very, very significant. And here's what it is. If you're a Christian, in Christ, you have the ability by the indwelling Holy Spirit to say no to sin. To enable you to say no to the lust of the flesh. And you're not in control. It's not a, a, a magic thing. It's the Holy Spirit indwells you. The Holy Spirit saved you and you have the Holy Spirit in you and you can say no to sin and where before you you couldn't withstand it, now you don't even get where it's come from but you actually can say no and stand firm. Have you seen that happen in your life? Let me just see. Raise your hand. Tell me. Tell me you've seen that happen in your life that you've been able to say no to sin because of the power of the Holy Spirit in you. It's awesome, it's, it's so significant. The, the idea is that the inward desire that you have for sin isn't uncontrollable. isn't a force that you can't reckon with. It can be consciously restrained because of the indwelling Holy Spirit. The key to abstaining from the passions of the flesh is to walk in the Holy Spirit's power. Galatians 5.16, again, walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. The battle will be won or lost in your mind before, before you take action. That's why Paul says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's why James 1, by the way, says you cannot blame God when you're tempted. You can't go, whoa, it was right there. I, uh, they were right there or it was right there and I just I couldn't give in. I, I, just couldn't do, I just couldn't resist. Really? Let no one say when he was tempted, I'm being tempted by God. So God didn't bring the sin into your life. For God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. You walk into sin, it's because you wanted to walk into sin. Well, you had the civil war going on, the uncivil civil war going on in your heart. Part of you didn't want it, part of you did. And you said yes to the part that wanted it. When lust is conceived, by the way, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. For example, take anything that you want to stop doing in your life. Let's just say you go, I want to get in better physical shape, and I want to work out more, and I want to eat better. So you say, I am not gonna eat sugar or anything with caffeine. You're like, "Um, please, now you're meddling. Because those are addictive substances and I'm addicted to those and I could wean myself off those substances. And what's gonna happen, and this is happening to me right now because I'm trying not to eat frozen yogurt, okay? I know it sounds silly, but there's a lot of sugar in it, okay? So every day, pretty much in the afternoon, what do you think I'm craving? You got it but, but the crave is getting less Because the more you say no and, and, and you fight with yourself Because saying no to your desires And the desires of your flesh Are the hardest battle you will ever fight it, and, and it's like but, but it seems so good And it's so delicious And it's so great And it's a Wage war against the soul. That means, by the way, that, that your sinful desires are, ser- as, are serving as soldiers against you, not for you. The present tense verb here gives the meaning that the desires are continually together, working together to wage war against your soul, the spiritual part about you. And if you entertain those, if you, if you open the door, and, you, and then you invite them in, and you entertain them, you can say, well, they, they seem it seems so attractive right now, and entirely harmless because you're not aware. And to not be aware of the spiritual damage that sin inflicts upon your soul and upon the souls of other people is to display a low level of sensitivity to God's spirit and God's word. And a low level of sensitivity to God's spirit and God's word is usually brought on By the very thing that you're not saying no to, entertaining the desires of the flesh and not abstaining. You want to live a good life before God and before other people and before unbelievers, but you keep saying yes to sin. You're messing yourself up, and you know it's an ongoing battle. And you're and if you're a Christian, you are convicted, deeply convicted. You don't even want to be around people that don't do what you're doing. It's a continuous assault. Enemies, not your friends, not your allies. The civil war. I've been talking a lot about security in Christ and assurance of salvation recently. Go go back to Romans with me, but go not to Romans 8, but Romans 7 this time. This well-documented battle that Paul, by the Spirit, so... So aptly describes, look at verse 18 with me. He says, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what keep I keep doing. If you want security and assurance, you want assurance of your security, abstain from fleshly lust that wage war against your soul. You know, Paul cried out. Back, actually, to, to, to Romans 7. Paul cried out this. Verse 24. Wretched man that I am. You know, every true believer thinks they're the worst sinner in the world. If you don't think you're the worst sinner in the world, you, get, you have problems. You have a pride problem. Paul said that he was the chief among the sinners. The chief. And he said it's a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came to save sinners, among whom I'm the worst. Every true believer thinks they're the worst sinner. They're not pointing the finger at somebody else, they're going, I am messed up. But he says, Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from the body of this death? And then these beautiful words, like, like a song, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We're being told all the time by this crazy, mixed up, upside down world we live in that sin is okay. Tozier put it this way You want to get an accurate picture of the human race Just take the beatitudes and flip them on their Upside down Flip them on their head There's your human race We're being told all the time By this crazy mixed up upside down world That the passions of the flesh are actually good for us And that they're our friend And those those are lies From the pit of hell Satan's marketing ploys are, Are effective and deceptive To the core And none of it is good and right and true Dressed up like something you want but behind the mask, something you should be terrified of. It's waging war against your soul. The world's deceptive practices are, are like a picture on a billboard. You drive by a billboard and there's this juicy, beautiful hamburger on the billboard. You're like, God, get me one of those. And I'm going now. You take your phone actually and you click a shot of that because you're like, I, I want to make sure when I get there This is when I'm ordering the right thing. So you get to the restaurant and you're like, I want this. Can't wait. And it comes to the table. And it's much smaller than on the billboard. (laughs) But even to scale, it's like, wait a minute, I've been duped. And it's like all shriveled up. It's all like gross looking. It doesn't have the onions that you were expecting. It doesn't have all the things that you you saw in the picture. And then you, you just go, well hey, I'm, I'm this far in, I might as well take a bite and eat the thing. And you eat it, and it's made out of dirty, rotten, stinking garbage. Literally. You're like, that wasn't on the billboard. That's what sin is. And worse, it's putrid. And it looks so good. You go in for it, and it's, 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 it's a double whammy. You're, it, it ruins you. If you go to a... Uh Let's say you go to a banquet, and someone says to you, don't eat the food. You're like, but the food looks so good. It's the best looking food ever. Like, it's poisoned. It's poisoned. It's going to ruin you. It'll get in your stomach and make you do all sorts of things you don't want to do. From both ends, you know, and you're like, but it looks so good. That's what sin is like looks so good it's it's waging war against you I want you to know that God wants so much more for you than that he's beautiful and he wants to satisfy you and he's better than all this world can offer or give and he truly loves you and has your best interests in mind because of Jesus because of the cross because of the shed blood You might have put your hopes in something that if you don't get, you'll be sorely disappointed and think that God broke his promise to you. You've set your heart on something you don't even realize you've been ensnared by because you're acting as if God made a promise to you that he never made. But that's deception. We lead ourselves to deceive ourselves and tell ourselves things that God has not said. The question I have for you today is, are you willing to yield everything in your heart and your life to Jesus? actually right now not later not next week are you willing to to yield every hope, desire, dream judgment assessment, conclusion that you have ever drawn or made and lay it at the foot of the cross and say my heart cannot be trusted that my sinful heart cannot be trusted the heart is deceitful above all else desperately wicked believe God's word I think sometimes we get in like a vertigo like state and it's we think things are right side up and they're actually upside down and we're not talking about minor adjustments here we're talking about a full recalibration a total transformation a total reorientation that is called repentance do you give in to your desires or do you say no to yourself I've said it already, but if you say no to yourself, it will be the most excruciatingly painful thing you've ever done in your life. And then you'll have to keep doing that. And it won't... Because you have to decide. You have to resolve not to let sin reign in your mortal vo- body that you would obey its lust. And you'll have to fight with yourself often. What did Paul say? I buffet my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I might not be Disqualified let me ask you what are you living for right now I don't mean like later I mean right now I mean this moment what are you living for who or what is your greatest desire yourself someone else or Jesus and the gospel who's calling the shots Jesus said my sheep hear my voice and they listen to me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one will snatch them out of my father's hand Galatians 6 says, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So to the Spirit, you'll from the Spirit reap eternal life. So to the flesh, you'll from the flesh reap destruction. Big question. What needs to immediately change in your life right this moment? Do you know what it is? What needs to be confessed? What needs to be shared with others who will hold you accountable? It's all about discipleship. His ownership of you and his his putting you into citizenship in heaven and then discipleship to Jesus, to trust the Lord Jesus with your whole life. If you want to live honorably in Christ, you've, you've got to obey him. As the master, so the servant must be, Jesus said. If they mistreated me, they're going to mistreat you. He said the son of man did not come to be... Serve, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And while we're holy and royal and chosen, we're also called to be servants. And we cannot live defiantly in defiance of God and positively affect eternity. If we want to live with a positive effect, we must live honorably in Christ because the world is watching. The world is watching. The world is watching tell you the next verse verse 12 is like here's what you should do verse 11 really is here's what you shouldn't do verse 12 is here's the positive flip side the world that we're saved from as believers is in desperate need of a savior and is watching the lives of those who believe god uses the gospel message as a magnet to draw others to himself and it's the gospel message spoken and it's the gospel message that has gotten down into the souls of believers and transformed their lives, their observable lives. It's interesting if, if, you, have this, if you have this response to, to the world is watching. Many people would. But I want privacy. I want to live a private life. If you only knew how unprivate your life really is, you're a person of interest to many spying and monitoring is going on of your habits and your actions and your responses. There are surveillance cameras pretty much in the places you don't think there are. There are credit card tracking Devices and they're, they're tracking your online habits and there are video cameras in stores and other pu- places public and, and they're, 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 me- they're, they're checking out your purchase histories and, and the location service on your phone. They know where you are all the time. The movements are being tracked. There are aerial photography going on so that when you are privately in your backyard, you can be seen. Insurance companies are, are checking out your medical records to see what to, to market you next. And don't get all messed up about that. It's just the way it is. But what you should really be concerned about is that you are a person of interest being watched because verse 12 says, keep your conduct excellent, honorable among the Gentiles, among those who don't believe. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, which is bound to happen, your good conduct will be... They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What that means is they will see your good deeds and they will repent and believe and be saved. The glorify here is that Greek word doxazo and it means to glorify. It occurs 61 times in the New Testament. Never used to speak of unbelievers who are forced unwillingly to admit God and his people have been right all along. We know that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But Revelation 16.9 says that those who don't believe refuse to glorify God. They won't. This is referring to people who are converted and end up glorifying God on the day He comes with blessing for His people. Like I said last week, those possessed by Christ proclaim Christ's excellencies powered by the mercy of Christ. So the last thing here is that the results of living honorably in Christ will be that God will be glorified and souls will be saved. And not every soul will be saved. Jesus said, all who the Father has given to me will come to me. And I won't cast them out. But they're going to see your good deeds. So you need to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. It's about discipleship to Jesus. And I hope if you're familiar with the Bible that when when I read verse 12, you went, ding, 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 ding. Wait, wait, wait. That's just like Matthew 5.16. Let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works And glorify your Father who is in heaven. Nineteenth century Scottish preacher named Alexander McLaren said this The world takes its notions of God most of all from the people who say they belong to God's family. They read us a great deal more than they read the Bible. They see us, they only hear about Jesus Christ. As we go on in 1 Peter, we're going to see a lot of examples of what peter has said today you go over to chapter 3 verse 1 and you see that that unbelieving husbands can be converted when they see the good conduct of their christian wives they continually watch and continually look christians living in an evil world must avoid sinful desires and continually maintain this honorable pattern of life so that unbelievers will be saved and glorify god this is the strategy for evangelism that God still uses today. The tools for evangelism that God wants you to use every day is your life and the gospel message. Let me ask you a question. I want to see by a show of hands how many of you, when you came to believe in Jesus, did so in part because of the godly example of Christians that you observed. Most people would say that, that they saw and heard the gospel. They heard the gospel message and they saw it lived out. And, and, and it was amongst their coworkers, their, their classmates, their neighbors, their teammates, who were ambassadors for Christ. And if you were a child when you came, you came to faith in Christ, your mom and dad fed you and clothed you and protected you. So anything you told them, anything they told you, you would say, yeah, I trust you. I trust you to tell me the truth. So, they told you the gospel and you believed it because you had observed their life and you knew. You didn't have to think about it. Let me tell you the primary reason, and then we'll close. The primary reason why you should live honorably in Christ is so that God would be praised and people would be saved. You are a person of interest to unbelievers. I think it's so easy for us to think that we're doing the right thing when we're not. I was driving through Los Angeles yesterday to go see my son. Run for a college uh, cross country team, and as I did, I went through a pretty rough part of LA uh, on the freeway. And as I went under an underpass, and on the overpass, there was a homemade sign. Now, here's the deal a block from where I was at, there are people living on the streets in abject poverty, in homelessness. And here's what the sign said Save the Arctic. You've got to be kidding me. Yeah, that's what it said. Save the Arctic. So don't save the people that are lying on the ground a block away, dying, or without a home, or without food, or without any money, but save the Arctic? Now, Christians can do the same thing. Hey, I gave to missions overseas. Check. But I don't want to love my neighbor. I don't want to love the homeless person I see. I don't want to love the person that doesn't fit my, my profile If you've ever lacked peace you might have to wonder why and the Bible says great peace have those who love God's word but sometimes we don't have peace because we've been disobedient to God there was a missionary that was imprisoned in Cuba for 17 months for distributing Christian literature and that same missionary went to Vietnam and into the highlands of Vietnam talking to Christians who suffer there and one Vietnamese Christian said this, suffering is not the worst thing that can happen to us. Disobedience to God is the worst thing that can happen to us. Lord God, we, we know you are urging us as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh because they wage war against our souls. And you are enabling us to keep our conduct among unbelievers honorable so that they would see our life and glorify you and become a believer Lord, we are aliens, we are strangers, we are not of this world, and we we know we need to abstain from sin. Lord, give us grace to obey you, to live honorably because someone else's eternity is at stake. And Lord, thank you that you will do your work and that you would be pleased to use us. In Christ's name, amen.